Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Prepare to get bashed. Not in like a violent way. Completely consensual bashed. Prepare to get consensually bashed. I'll say I'll have them change it. Hello and welcome to 32 Fans Movies, where we discuss all things movies, past, present, and future. My name is Sammy Chester. And I'm Will Simon. And I've seen no movies prior to the month of May, but I thought it would be a great month to start. We're going to be discussing the hits and misses of May 2019 with a deep dive into Booksmart. And we're going to do a bonus little feature where we talk about all movies Malta. Movies made in Malta, filmed in Malta, about Malta have Malta in the title. Yeah, we'll get to Malta at the end and really take apart why we're talking all things Malta. But let's talk about our guest. First is our live-in guest, Av Sinensky. Glad to have you back, Av. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. And in order to talk Malta, we knew we needed a real expert, so we drafted the entire 32 fans audience and came up with Mr. Zach Brooks. Zach, as a way to introducing yourself to the 32 fans movie audience, what makes you a credible Malta expert? And if your expertise is exposed, what will be the reason why? Oh, well, it will be exposed. I think I am the Malta expert because a few weeks ago, Sammy Chester referred to me as quote-unquote Malta expert. In terms of movie expertise, I would say my claim to fame is being on 32 Fans, trying to win Akiva's money by guessing what movies he went to uh, the theater to see, and I failed miserably. Ah, that was you? Yeah, that was me about a year ago. Oh, wow. So we have Av Sinensky and Zach Brooks, the two original movie experts from 32 Fans. Yeah, like the two ends of the spectrum. Exactly. Well, we're moving up in the world. Wow. I mean, soon we'll just have every listener on the podcast at the same time. <laughs> exactly. Line up now to, to get your tickets for the next month. Let's talk about recent watches. Will, you're our go-to guy here. How many movies did you see in May and what really stood out and what do you want to make sure listeners skip? It looks like 28. Oh, wow. Okay. So 28. So that's pretty much a movie a day. Yeah, that's that's always my goal, you know? You knock out one a day? Well, that was like my 2019 New Year's resolution was to watch like on average one movie a day. Oh, wow. Everyone in theaters, right? Uh, no, definitely not. Only three new movies get released in theaters like a week, at least where I live. So a lot of them, it's just like on Netflix or like Amazon. Av, how about you? Av, did you see most of your movies this month that you saw in theater? You're a theater guy, no? I'm generally a theater guy. Uh, I saw probably only like three in theaters this month. I saw 14 overall, which I thought was a high number, but thanks, Will, for making me look like somebody who barely watches movies. Okay, so, so Will, what of these 28 not-enough-of-them-in-theater movies do you really want people to check out? The first one I'm going to talk about is my 
my biggest guilty pleasure of the month. It was one that I saw in theaters. It was the James Gunn produced Brightburn. It's basically a take on Superman if Superman was a sociopathic serial killer. It's a horror movie, right? Yes. It's very much a traditional horror movie in a lot of ways. And it all still does a fairly decent job deconstructing the whole superhero craze. Wouldn't you say that a superhero crossed with a horror movie is peak 2019 or the last few years? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's the mix of superhero blockbuster taking the world by storm and making billions of dollars and then horror movies being made on like a $5 million budget and then making hundreds of millions. And that's basically the only genres that can actually be successful now. So that's a movie you want people to see. I think if you're a fan of horror movies, you should definitely see it. Any movie that everyone would enjoy? A movie that everyone would enjoy. Oh... You saw 28 movies and not a single one of them gets your wholehearted recommendation? I definitely have one. I'm going to go with John Wick Chapter 3. Tangent, it was recently on Akiva's other podcast. Akiva has another podcast? (laughs) Did you not know this? You're really out of the world, Sammy. Well, you got to give a shout out to the podcast. I I don't think they need it. It's Rob and Akiva need a podcast. Will is a key member of that podcast. Oh, yes. Well, I I do run the, the spreadsheet for that podcast to keep everything in order. Will, you're not giving yourself enough credit. Okay. Akiva has seen John Wick, and you have seen John Wick, and you're saying... No, so Akiva has not seen John Wick Chapter 3, oh, okay. but he recently said that any movie over 20 years old is not as good as John Wick 3. And while I, I can't agree with that, uh, I would say that John Wick 3 is a very fun movie. Not a dull moment. Go see it. Do people need to have seen the other two to see this? If you jump into John Wick 3, you're good to go? I would say for the most part, yes. There is like some scenes featuring exposition of this assassin society that was developed in the first two movies, but it's very easy to grab onto what's happening. Not a lot of prior knowledge is required there. Yeah. Do the rest of you guys see that? Zach and Av? I, I wanted to. I saw the first two, and I don't really remember John Wick 2 as well as I remember John Wick 1, so I wanted to rewatch John Wick 2 before I went and saw John Wick 3, and that just never happened. Yeah, so I had I had totally ignored these movies uh, for some reason, and then the week that John Wick 3 was coming out, I watched both 1 and 2, loved both of them, went to see 3, loved that as well. They just, they're just incredible action movies with some of the most amazing action sequences you'll ever see, and the way that the, the world building and the mythology of this underground assassin world just keeps growing and growing you know your your mileage may vary on that but i personally just love the way they keep building and going further into it and you know i'll keep seeing these movies now as as they come out now that i'm all in on them do you think they're ever going to stop this is the new fast and the furious yeah i think so i mean there's so many directions they can go they can go backwards they can go forwards they can do spin-offs with all these side characters they keep creating i mean they're basically creating a john wick extended universe uh, if they wanted to what like a halle berry standalone john wick universe i feel like i read an article about that there are actually spin-offs they're already developing for john wick the jwo is coming for the mcu it's great my take on john wick is the first was the best of the three wow and the first to me is a better action worse acted version of payback the amazing Mel Gibson movie. The latest this month, it's a video game. Well, we may not remember this, but like Mortal Kombat when it came out, you can fight in the lava zone. You can fight in the street. It's not necessarily a criticism of the movie because, hey, we all love video games. But to me, John Wick 3, which is constant action and every action is in a different environment, it just felt like a video game. No, like you don't see that like like a Street Fighter. I don't know what would make it different from the first John Wick. The first John Wick had more of a purpose and more of a plot. It wasn't so... I don't like what Av likes, which is it wasn't so talking up like adjudicators and assassins guilds. The first John Wick was like a driven guy pissed off that they killed his wife and his dog. They don't kill his wife, but yeah. I would say that the first John Wick really had less of a plot and that it was really just this one guy with one motivation. Whereas the third one can get like too bogged down and 
all these side characters and this whole assassins organization. So I think that might have been contributing to what you're talking about. Yeah, no, that's fair. Will, anything else? My last one I'm going to talk about is going to be Ma, the Octavia Spencer horror movie where she plays this troubled old woman who invites these high school kids to come party at her house and discover there's more beneath the surface. It's a very goofy movie, uh, not not the actual a very goofy movie. If you're someone who like takes things very seriously, this is probably not going to be for you. Would you say it's uh, Jordan Peele thematically? I think he's one of the producers of it, no? Yeah, I think it tries to have some like social commentary. It does not do a very good job at it. It's best enjoyed just as a very over-the-top thriller. Av, you watch horror movies. Do you, do you consider yourself a, like a particular fan, or you're just sort of a movie fan, so you'll take them as they come? I kind of watch them when they cross a certain threshold of notoriety, you know, when people start talking about them more. I, I don't, I'm definitely not a person that goes to see the new horror movie every week or every other week when they come out, but the ones that reach a cultural relevance, I'll try to go see. Okay. We don't talk TV on this show, but a movie did come out at the very end of this month, the Deadwood movie, which is essentially when fans of a TV show love it so much and they feel there was never a proper finale. In this case, there was never a finale. The dream is to come together and make a movie. And I don't know exactly how many examples of that there are in the popular culture, but it's something that's often discussed. I loved Deadwood. And the odd thing is I have never seen the entire series, the series which was famously canceled early. I saw the first season and always wanted to get back into it and never did. And yet I loved the movie. Even though the movie is an extended goodbye, I can identify really easily why I liked it so much. Characters are so lived in by the actors. And the best example I can give of that is Ian McShane, who plays uh, in John Wick. He's the proprietor of the hotel. He plays pretty much exactly the same role in Deadwood, which is why they put him into John Wick, except he's 10 times better in Deadwood. He's so much more authentic and gritty and funny and dangerous and every character I felt was like that so even though I was coming into Deadwood without what Av describes as you know knowing the whole universe that was the movie that really got my attention this month maybe some people were thinking hey I didn't see the tv show I can't see the movie did, did you guys see it? Am I the only one? I didn't see it. I have never seen the TV show nor the movie. Oh, wow. Okay. I'm currently in my third attempt to try to watch Deadwood, uh, which I, I started in anticipation of trying to finish the movie. And I'm now eight episodes in, which is the farthest I got in any of my three attempts. And I don't know that I'm going to go much further. I just don't know that the show in this world is for me. But I really would like to cross it off my list for good and never have to think about watching Deadwood. So... I'm probably going to try to plow through and finish it and watch the movie so I could just be done with it. But there's just something about it that's just not engaging for me. I hear. I mean, there's something very archaic and unique about the dialogue. It took me halfway through the movie to sort of accept it and then embrace it and then love it. You do not have to have seen a single episode of Deadwood and you can legitimately enjoy the movie, which is so odd, but you can because it's just so much fun. And so I would encourage you, you do not have to do the, the Obstinensky route. If you love cowboy movies, I like westerns. I think I prefer easterns. Ah, okay. Well, my second movie is an eastern. Ooh. So you're, that's perfect for you. Did any of you guys see Shadow? Shadow's been on my list, but uh, unfortunately it hasn't come out to where I live. So I think I'm going to have to just wait for it to hit streaming. Shadow is in the vein. It's it's a movie made by this guy named Zhang Yimou. Zhang Yimou is, is China's most well-known, biggest box office director. He's done a lot of the really big uh, kung fu movies in the last decade. Hero is his most famous movie, and Hero is amazing. If anyone hasn't seen Hero, like 
turn this pod off and go watch Hero. But Zhang Yimou also in the 90s made a lot of art house movies before turning to do these big showy kung fu movies. Shadow is his latest kung fu movie. I definitely did not enjoy it as much as Deadwood. It wasn't a movie that I would say you must see, but it's very enjoyable and it's beautifully shot. Again, think Hero, think Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon in that style of like super slow-mo artistic takes on kung fu with beautiful costumes. It's not as good as Hero. It's not as epic as Crushing Tiger, Hidden Dragon. The second half of the movie flies in a way that nothing in John Wick could compare to. Will, how can you be a fan of Easterns and not have seen Shadow? I've been meaning to. You didn't see that elephant movie that's four hours long last month. You didn't see Shadow. I feel like you don't watch Chinese movies, unless you mean something else when you say Eastern. I know. What's wrong with me? And Shadow, they barely speak. It's like a kung fu movie. You know, you can you can watch it with just the music and enjoy it. Oh, that's good. I hate movies with lots of speaking. Yeah, I hate it. Uh, I will talk about uh, one more movie that I think some of us saw. Another Chinese movie uh, called Long Day's Journey Into Night. Uh, It is a very atmospheric, surreal sort of mystery about this man who returns to his hometown after a long absence. And he's trying to find this woman uh, who he used to have a connection with. It's a very abstract movie. Definitely not for everyone. The last hour of the movie is a dream sequence that's one continuous shot. It was originally shot in 3D. I don't believe that you're able to watch it in 3D now if you watch it at your local blockbuster. Where did you watch it? Uh, I watched it at a theater. It was in a theater in Richmond for exactly one week. Did you search it out or you were going to theaters and saw it was playing and you're just like, I'll take it? I just looked at what was playing and I saw Long Day's Journey into Night and I was like, looks cool. I'll go check it out. Av knows this about me. I don't know if Zach does. And Will obviously knows everything about me because he's my podcast partner. I speak Chinese. I've lived in China for a bunch. And one of my first Chinese teachers in China when I was a college student was convinced that the best way to learn a language was to watch movies in that language. Nice. During Chinese class, he would just have us watch movies. So we saw Raise the Red Lantern, which is a beautiful movie everyone should see. We saw Shower, which is one of my top five probably favorite movies of all time. I didn't learn any Chinese, though, from watching the movies. I saw Long Day's Journey Into Night. I think there's a few Chinese movies that are better than it this year. But I agree with you, Will. It is a wacky, obtuse, dreamlike if ever a movie, if it, you like it enough that you realize you have to go back and watch it several times just to sort of properly understand it, I think that's this. I don't know if I will watch it again, but you need to. Yesterday, Will said that this was his favorite movie or the movie he'd most recommend of the month, and somehow I never heard of it. So, of course, I went and watched it last night. Are you planning on watching it again? I would ideally like to watch it again, but I don't think I enjoyed it enough that that's going to be a high priority for me. I think it definitely is a movie that to appreciate you need to see more than once because it's just hard to keep track of what's going on and that's by design but that also makes the initial viewing experience difficult. It's almost the type of movie where it's not even important what the plot is or what's going on. It's sort of just a a world that you get lost in. What I'm struck by is that there are two kinds of movies coming out of China and it seems like there's a lot of movies coming out of China now. There are the big popcorn flicks that we don't see and we haven't talked about on this podcast but there have been some big popcorn flicks made in China this year all sort of Armageddon ripoffs by the way and then there are these really far out usually three or four hour long very artsy dreamlike sequences the movie I recommended last month about that elephant very far movies that are just not being made in America. Don't see these kind of movies being made in Hollywood. Even when you have independent films in the U.S., they're nothing like Long Jay's Journey in Tonight. Why do you think that is? Well, definitely in terms of wide releases, the vast American population just isn't attuned to 
weirder movies. They all grew up watching Independence Day, these more traditional story structures. Yeah, but, but this is an indie in China as well. This was not... I read some of the background to it, and actually they fooled people into going to see it, saying it was a romantic movie. This is an indie coming out of China in the same way that this would be an indie coming out of the U.S. This isn't an Independence Day or an Armageddon. Those are the other kind of Chinese movie. Why are American indies not as crazy as Chinese indies? There are some pretty crazy American indie movies out there. Swiss Army Man was just about this guy carrying around a dead body and using it to fly. Yeah, but still, there is a cohesive plot. And put it this way, if through the end of the year, a movie comes out that we think is sort of more out there than Long Day's Journey into Night, let's make sure to come back to this moment and, and, and put it out there. I'll keep an eye out for one. Felt a little bit like a David Lynch movie or uh, Lars von Trier also. Not that these are movies that I see or like, but from what I've uh, read... They sound. They seem similar. Yeah, we can do a whole China podcast another time, and all of us can talk about Mulan. <laughs> is it hard to find that movie? Like for the average person who's listening to this podcast that probably hasn't even heard of uh, Long Day's Journey tonight, is the only way to find it to find your like local art house theater, or is it streaming anywhere? Hey, I downloaded it. Yeah, I think in the next couple months it'll be on like Amazon Prime at the very least. Chinese movies are always available on torrents. Zach, it can be available. Someone who wants to push their limits of where they like to go with movies, I agree with Will. You know, check it out. Sounds interesting, but I think I have so many other movies on my list. Will, if I can, I want to jump to a movie that I would tell people, unfortunately, they need to skip. It's also pretty far out there, and it also has an amazing, probably one of the best pre-production stories. Definitely the best we've ever mentioned on this podcast. And that's a movie called The Killing of Don Quixote. Now, I assume everyone's heard of Don Quixote as sort of the classic novel out of Spain from, I don't know, the, the Middle Ages. What was it? Maybe it was written in the 1500s, 1600s. The guy who tilts at windmills, the guy who believes he's a knight errant, Terry Gilliam, who people know from Monty Python, trying to make a movie about Don Quixote for 30-plus years. Since the 80s, he's been going around with this script. It was considered one of the most cursed movies in Hollywood history. He started filming it at one point with Johnny Depp. They were filming in Spain, and there was a series of disasters, and he had to cancel that. He kept on coming back and trying to make it over and over. About six different people were cast as Don Quixote over the decades. Finally, finally, when he got it filmed... One of the producers then backed out and refused to give money, then claimed ownership of it. And the reason I mention this is uh, Will had said that he was able to see Long Day's Journey into Night during a one-week showing. Killing of Don Quixote was blocked by one of its former producers in court from being shown in the U.S. for more than one day. So it only had a one-day screening in theaters in the U.S. Wow. It was allowed to screen in France, and like literally there are lawsuits in like 15 different countries still pending. Why do I mention all that? Killing of Don Quixote is about a disillusioned movie director who's filming a movie about Don Quixote in Spain, and then he gets mistakenly identified as Sancho, Don Quixote's squire, and gets into this weird time-jumping fantasy with an old man who believes that he is Don Quixote. All the antagonists in the movie are the producers of the film. So you can immediately sort of see how this movie plays with the decades that it took to make the movie. I would love to tell everyone this was amazing. Adam Driver is in the Johnny Depp role. Jonathan Price, who's the High Sparrow from Game of Thrones, plays uh, Don Quixote. Both of them are okay. The problem is the script is a mess. The plot has about 50 movies inside of it. The movie goes on forever. It could have been half the length. That said, if you appreciate 
the majesty and the messiness that can be a great Hollywood production, I would say check it out. Feel free to skip forward during certain parts of it because you won't really be missing out on anything. It goes off in directions that don't make sense and aren't ever closed. Any of you guys, have I convinced you? Are you going to see it? Nope. I'll see it for sure. Uh, that sounds like the most amazing movie ever. Who said no? Was that you, Zach? Yeah. It's not enjoyable to watch. Good thing I love torturing myself. Last thing I'll say about it is that it's dedicated to two actors who were cast as Don Quixote. And they died, one of them, from medical issues that he had when he originally was cast and filmed in the role. So the movie that's called How We Killed Don Quixote is dedicated to two people who died partly as a result of being cast in this cursed uh, production. So worth checking out, but don't say if you do see it that I, I didn't warn you. There's a movie that I propose that we maybe make it our feature this month, and no one's mentioned it. Has anyone seen Rocket Man? Yes, I saw it. I also saw Rocket Man. Why are the reviews so good when this movie has the same director, the same genre, and is also about a gay British music icon as the panned Bohemian Rhapsody from last year? Well, for starters, I wouldn't necessarily say that uh, Bohemian Rhapsody was panned. I believe it was nominated for Best Picture and... Oh, don't bring Oscar. I understand, but to, you know, to just describe it as a movie that was panned when it was nominated for Best Picture and won an Oscar for Best Actors. There are memes about how bad the editing is in the movie, and the movie won for Best Editing at the Oscars. <laughs> I, uh, I, I saw this with a group last Friday. I really did not like it at all. There's a biopic, and then there's a... A musical, which is basically just a series of music videos. I would say the music videos, you know, you could take them or leave them. So, you know, to the extent you're a huge Elton John fan, you might enjoy some of those parts more, but that's not the part of the movie that I'm really, that I was really down on. I thought the, the biopic part, the narrative was just a disaster. There was just no through line, no characterization, no, no real cohesive narrative to anything. A movie like this, which I think similar to Bohemian Rhapsody, should be setting out to answer the question, what was it about Elton John, this enigmatic, eccentric character, you know, who's really has a unique place in movie history. Like, what was it that made him tick, that made him so out of the box and unusual? And the movie basically attributes it to some guy in a bar telling him one time, you have to be different and original. And then he says, okay. And then he basically decides to become this crazy eccentric character. And that just doesn't hold up for me. Took this really unique character and, and made him like a total movie rock star cliche about you know a guy who just hated his parents and became absorbed in a world of drugs and alcohol and ruined his life and then he goes to rehab <laughs> that has to happen it's exactly yeah um the movie also uses this ongoing plot device of uh of him being in therapy and flashing back and forward which i thought just totally took me out of the movie i thought that was a, a horrible choice by the director well let me spin it to you then if someone did not like bohemian rhapsody would you recommend that they go see rocket man i would say that there is a lot more to get out of rocket man than there is to get out of Bohemian Rhapsody. And I uh, enjoyed it, even though I saw a lot of flaws in it. Like Av said, I think the biopic part is not the strongest as someone who doesn't know much about the life of Elton John. And I really didn't know much of his music going into the movie, which might have made it more enjoyable for me. I'm not sure. But a large part of the movie is these musical numbers. It's uh, much more of a like jukebox musical than Me and Rhapsody was. And it has a lot of fun playing around with that Mamma Mia vibe. And that's definitely the part of the movie where it's more enjoyable than, than Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah. And also, I mean, to be fair, Will missed out on the days when you could turn on MTV and see music videos. Before we jump to the feature, Av, do you have like one movie you think we're really ignoring from the from the last month that you saw? The only movie I would add, I, and I wouldn't characterize it as a must-see, but I really enjoyed it, was a movie called Funny Story, which I hadn't really seen anyone discuss. I kind of just stumbled upon it. I think I saw it. It's it's very short. I thought it was I thought it was pretty good. Um, 
Matthew Glaive plays a father. He's really great in it. Basically, I would characterize him as a bad guy trying to become good, and it really explores his relationship with his lesbian daughter. And I thought it was just a really sweet, warm movie that you know I think most people would enjoy. My brother goes to see a lot more movies than me. He said not to see Rocket Man, but he did tell me to see The Perfection, which I believe is on Netflix. I don't know if you guys saw that movie at all. I didn't even hear that. Yeah. So he said, I will not tell you anything about it. Just watch it and then text me. And I have been uh, procrastinating doing that, but I will do that at some point. So that is the movie I would like to see next. But probably the best movie I watched last month was Inside Lewin Davis, which is obviously not a not a new movie, but it was one that had been on my watch list for a long time. Zach is trying to jump to the end of the podcast. He's sending us a very strong hint, I think. Zach, that could have been your classic corner. Oh. Right now you're going to have to bring some added ammo. <laughs> we'll, we'll keep the movie you recommended for next month. Yeah, it's, it, perfection's supposed to be crazy, so see that one. Well, we normally don't do previews while we're excited to see coming. Maybe Zach has introduced a new segment for future discussion. We'll either see that or see Dark Phoenix. We're definitely going to skip on anything uh, dark in phoenix last i checked it was on like 13 percent on rotten tomatoes oh it's gone down it was 20 something i think i try to go for triple digits on rotten tomatoes and then go down from there but i think will actually has the opposite approach <laughs> will book smart a comedy like funny story that i recommended if push came to shove i would say book smart is the better movie but i enjoyed funny story more what is book smart why are we talking about it as our feature so book smart is the directorial debut of olivia wilde uh, produced by Will Farrell and Adam McKay, who definitely have a spotty track record. But production-wise, they have a history of picking good movies to back uh, financially. The movie is about these two girls on their last day of the senior year of high school. And they've spent all their time through high school just studying, not going out and partying or being fun. And they just want to prove to everyone that they can have fun once they learn that all the people who also partied through high school also got into good colleges. And I found this movie to be absolutely delightful. I was smiling throughout the entire runtime. Both of the two lead actresses have an astounding chemistry, and all of the side characters are enjoyable to watch as well. Usually in a movie like this, where there's lots of side characters, a lot of them are going to be annoying, start to grate on you. All these felt like real people, and I never didn't enjoy watching any of them on screen. So what did the rest of you guys think? Um, You're a movie historian. Did this movie feel different to you than all the similar coming-of-age movies like it? I Honestly, I didn't really feel like the movie was trying to be fundamentally different. The most obvious comparison that it's getting is to Superbad. I think that's just probably because of the people involved, you know, the McKays and the Ferrells. And then you have Jonah Hill's sister plays Molly. I, I don't remember her their, their real last name. It's not Hill. Feldstein. Beanie Feldstein. There you go, Feldstein. Yeah, I wonder why they changed that to Hill. I thought it was really good. I think that the, you know, like the raunchy scenes that kind of were more in the super bad vein didn't work as well as some of the other parts. I thought this movie was really anchored by the relationship and chemistry between the two leads, Amy and Molly. I thought they were phenomenal together on screen. You know, they you bought basically from the first time you saw them that these are people that were best friends. I thought they really carried the movie in a really impressive way. Not to spoil your end of the year list of, but you had said last month when you were with us that you're definitely going to be talking about Endgame at the end of the year. Do you expect books smart to be top five favorite movies of the year i don't think so i don't think it quite 
rose to that level. I think it would be hard to walk out of this movie and have hated it, but I don't think it was truly excellent. I thought it was more, you know, B plus, A minus. I think there are definitely flaws in this movie. You could definitely tell this is a direct directorial debut. There are some flourishes that I think are a sign of good things to come in the future from Olivia Wilde, but also a few... Just an example. I thought some of the side characters were a little out of place. I think most of all, the Jessica Williams character as the teacher was just totally ridiculous and just like not realistic as a real person that exists in the world. Or, you know, maybe I was going to the wrong high school, but I don't remember teachers coming to parties and hanging out with the kids. She just seemed... You should have gone to my school. <laughs> she just she just seemed really out of place in this movie. So I think that that's a good example. And then some of the other side characters who had their comedic moments, like the Jeeky character or the nerdy rich kid who has his own side party at the beginning, I thought underdeveloped and just not utilized in a way that made them feel like they were in the same movie as Amy and Molly were in. I was surprised they don't get to the party. Every coming of age is geeks go to the party. They don't get to the party and for over like an hour and 15 minutes into the movie. I thought it dragged a lot in the first hour. I was like, get to the party already. I thought the party was going to be the MacGuffin through the whole movie. When I was watching it, I was like, all right, so the, the movie is going to end, they're going to get to the party, and it's going to be over, or everybody will be gone. So I was surprised kind of how quickly they got to the party. And there was one scene early on that I, I really loved, the, the one that took place in the lift, that I could see where that scene was going the whole time, but I was still like laughing out loud. Did you guys think that Booksmart kind of peaked with there's a long take scene that takes place after the pool you've been lying to me since january yeah because i knew if i told you you'd bully me into staying so our, all our schedules are going to be off now we're not going to be together we're going to go on a post-college trip together we're not going to move to dc together our whole plan was your plan that was never my plan it's always i can't believe you you think that going to africa makes you tough and you weren't even fucking brave enough to tell me you're fucking cowardly selfish and I thought that was the high point of this movie, and then everything after that just really failed to live up. And and for me, I thought Booksmart was like 75% of a great movie, and the last quarter of the movie just didn't do it for me. Even though it's been done in other movies, I just I really like the pool scene. I thought the actress was a great underwater actress, if that makes any sense. She held her breath and kept her eyes open for a long time underwater. I was impressed. Very good at acting underwater. And she showed such emotion while swimming underwater. Well, if somebody wears contacts, I can't open my eyes underwater, so... I was jealous that she was able to just open her eyes and see. That's why you're not in Hollywood, Zach. Yeah, I gotta get that LASIK. Will, let's make a note. Let's do a ranking sometime in the future during a dry month. Best underwater swim scenes. That's a good idea. Yeah, that's a good way to solve a dry month for sure. I know what my number one is. Piranha 3D? Av is definitely positioning himself to come back on. Zach is uh, maybe not pulling his weight. <laughs> I don't think there's been a movie at this point through the first five months that the whole family can go and everyone will enjoy on different levels. The new Aladdin remake has kind of become that movie that families can go to. And obviously, Booksmart isn't good for like... Disney remakes are trash. Oh, yeah. I'm, And it's not very good. But unfortunately, it's making a lot more money than Booksmart is making right now. So I think p more people need to see Booksmart. Booksmart is a little raunchy, maybe, for some. To Will's point, I saw Booksmart alone. I saw Aladdin with my wife, my two daughters, and my in-laws. But a family that goes to see Booksmart is a much cooler family than the Sinenskis. Totally agree. We'll leave it at that. Anything else Booksmart? We're saying it's fun for the whole family, except if you're the Sinenskis. Anything else we want to add? One other thing I'll add, and I'll also put this in the column of things I didn't like, is that I just thought the... I would say the world building, if you want for lack of a better term, of like what exactly this school was just didn't really make any sense to me. It kind of feels like a public school, but it's clearly not because everyone's going to Yale or Stanford. I agree with that. 
Also, this idea that this Molly character would be unaware of the fact that she's in a school where everybody goes to Yale and Stanford just didn't make any sense that she's finding this out on the last day of school that this is a you know super duper elite prep school where everyone goes to an ivy league school just is totally implausible yeah that was incredibly unrealistic well all these kids would be wearing yale and stanford shirts the day they get in and so to find that out the last moment that was totally unrealistic i agree yeah but you know that's you know that's just a nit um but you know it's the type of thing that i think uh you know a more seasoned director would would create a world that was more true to itself there is not going to be a book smart universe like John Wick. <laughs> I think we can be assured of that. Though I think the actresses will hopefully, as both Will and uh, Ob said, will be paired up a bunch more in the future. And, you know, look, actresses get roles until they turn 30. So these girls have, uh, have a bunch of years to go. <laughs> yeah, it's 31 is what you meant to say, right? 31. 31. 31. There's no better bridge from talking about when actresses are no longer in movies to talking about Malta and movies. My impression is most of the movies made in Malta are disproportionately male, and you'll see why, given the theme of the movies there. The reason we're doing Malta and the movies is because earlier in May, the 32 Fans podcast named Malta the number one country in Europe. If Malta's the number one country in Europe, and this is a 32 Fans movies podcast, let's dive into the movies. There are three kinds of movies that are being made there. One is that Malta has one of the largest sea docks in the world for filming movies that are set on the water so there's a lot of movies that you may have seen if they're on a boat chances are they were filmed in malta number two is spy movies it has a very cold war vibe and number three sword and sandal sword and sandal movies went out of fashion i guess with cleopatra in the late uh, 70s but they came roaring back with gladiator and troy and alexander the great by oliver stone and all those movies were filmed in malta and again it just has a very great vibe of sort of an old-timey roman empire era feel to it if you've seen movies in those three genres you've probably seen a movie in malta each of us is going to give some of our favorites before we do that even though this is a non-game of thrones podcast is that the first season of game of thrones was filmed almost entirely in malta if you go back and you see it, you'll notice that there's iconic places such as Littlefinger's Brothel and King's Landing and the Red Keep, Boiler Ned Stark's head was cut off. Those are all filmed in Malta. What happened? There's this iconic rock formation which is seen in the wedding of Danny and Khal Drogo. And HBO was accused by some local NGO of destroying the site by covering it in sand and then damaging some of the local foliage. And as a result, Game of Thrones left after season one. The greatest part is this. In 2017, the rock formation that caused the whole stir with Game of Thrones, it collapsed due to natural causes. And I at least would like to think that the Night King or Bran or someone was responsible for saying F you, Malta. That's a very George R. R. Martin uh, twist ending for that rock formation. I know. It was called the Azure Window Rock Formation. It's on the island of Gozo which when uh, Keeve and my brother Alex and uh, the rest of the fans fly off there in a year's time, they'll make sure to check out. And they will not see the Azure window, though there are tours to see Littlefinger's brothel and everything else because those are all actual sites in Malta to this day. Putting aside Game of Thrones, which is not a movie, we're going to do our top fives. The way we suggest this works is that we have Zach, our Malta expert, so he's going to take the lead and he's going to name his top five counting down favorite Malta movies. If any of his movies 
the rest of us ranked higher than him. And then Zach won't discuss it because we're going to leave whoever liked the movie the most to be the one who gets to discuss it and, and lead on it. Before we jump to our top fives, to respect the over 300 movies that have been filmed in Malta, we're going to start with Zach and each of us is going to share an honorable mention, a Malta movie we saw that did not crack our top fives. I don't think I can talk about a Malta ranking without discussing the Robin Williams classic Popeye, which was filmed in Malta. Um, I haven't seen it in a long time. It's It's been a few years, but Popeye is... How old were you when you saw it? Not as young as I probably should have been. Probably in my 20s, but it does have just some really ridiculous costumes. And it's like, if you're going to make a movie based on a cartoon it is like a cartoon that they just made into really weird looking real life and it's got weird songs and there's one that my roommate and i watched this when we were probably somewhere in our 20s and there's a song all about eating and i think the song is titled everything is food everything is food 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 everything is food to go most annoying song ever but it will get stuck in your head and we would just send each other the youtube clip of that song all the time robin williams plays popeye right yes robin williams is popeye and shelly duvall is olive oil and i don't remember who plays bruno the villain in popeye but i do know you can still go to malta and you can see the whole dock area where they filmed popeye they it's, it's a tourist attraction in malta so they're still making money off of that popeye film did you see it because of Robin Williams, or did you see it because you're a huge Popeye fan? Neither. I saw it because it was on one of those cable channels, and we stumbled upon it, and then we started watching it. We were, I think we were drinking, and we were like, oh, this is a great movie to drink and watch because it's just really absurd. Bluto, by the way, was played by uh, a guy named Paul Smith, who will come up in a, a movie we're going to talk about a little bit later, just FYI. I think we've lost Will. He's busy reading up on who Popeye is. <laughs> will, do you know who Popeye is? I have seen the cartoon, yeah. Yes. Oh, okay, but do you associate him with spinach or with the sugar cereal? I associate him with eating spinach and making his arms really big. Is that what he does? Yep. All right, cool. They actually sell spinach that's got Popeye on the can. I've seen like Popeye's spinach. Like they really market Popeye. Wow. Yeah, it's really good for the spinach industry. No, but Zach, when we were kids, they came out with a sugar cereal named after Popeye. And I remember feeling betrayed even then, I'm, you know, fairly young age in that this guy who's known for eating healthy food and making him strong is now showing up on Sunday morning cartoons advertising a sugar cereal to make him strong. Isn't that the way it works, though? That's the corporate way. But, you know, where was the Popeye cereal in the 32 fans th cereal tournament? Why didn't it make it? Do the whole thing again. Exactly. Yeah, the, the cereal tournament is null and void at this point. Uh, how about you? Well, you know, we talked about Popeye. Uh, I don't think we need to say anything more about it. It's it's absolutely horrible. I think uh, Zach covered everything that there is to say about it. Um, other than I'll say, you know, I, I, can't, I can't believe that this was directed by a real director. <laughs> well, who knows? I mean, once you get to Malta, strange things are known to happen. Yeah, so anyway, so I'll jump to number six on my list, which is Midnight Express, which also features Paul Smith as the prison guard in the movie that tortures everybody. So, you know, he's kind of typecast as a villain in Malta movies, I guess. Wow. I saw Midnight Express as well. That guy could see playing the bad guy in Popeye, for sure. Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, Midnight Express is a movie that I've been hearing about for years. My parents used to always reference it as just kind of like a, a fake punishment. You don't behave, you know, we're going to send you to that Turkish prison from that movie. So it was just kind of something that was always in the back of my mind all these years as a movie that I, you know, would want to see one day when I got 
older and they just never really got around to it. I would say like the first half of it is pretty good. Some of the sequences where they're torturing the prisoners are really tough to watch, but, you know, impressively done. They constantly do this thing in the movie where they, they just beat people on the soles of their feet, which I didn't know was a thing, and they seem to find extremely painful, and it, it doesn't seem to me like it would necessarily be the most painful thing, but I'll take their word for it, and I would prefer it not be done to me, but I wouldn't say it's a particularly good movie, it just kind of has a few good scenes in it. Uh, there are two scenes I loved in the movie, please tell me you like them as well. One, when the guy who plays uh, the bad guy in Popeye walks out with his two little plump kids and his two little fat kids are sort of toddling around with fat blubber as their dad beats up on people and then their dad turns around and they like blubber. Yes. That scene is completely unnecessary to the movie and I loved it. I hope you liked that as well. Yeah, that was good. Okay, and then second was there's this bizarre and I've heard after the fact sort of iconic in the gay community. We are in, you know, June is gay month. There's this weird hot yoga pseudo man-on-man shower sex scene. I assume we're talking about the same movie. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, yeah, no, that was, that was an interesting scene for sure. I mean, I would say I, I definitely liked everything that, I think his name is Hamadou, the the prison guard is in. He he really kind of owns the movie. You know, he's really terrifying on screen. That scene that you mentioned in particular, I thought was was pretty good. But yeah. The the gay sex shower scene? Oh no, I was talking about the first one, but yeah, that, that scene was, that one was good as well. Had the prison guard showed up in the shower or done hot yoga with them though, and we might have had a different movie. Yeah, and then there's there's this scene in the movie where it's like, okay, you're sentenced to four years, and then he has like a month left, and they're like, oh, by the way, the court decided now you have a life sentence instead. <laughs> I just got so angry watching the movie. I was like, what the hell? That's not how this works. But I guess that's how it works in Turkey. There are 10 prison movies I can name off the top of my head that they're really suffering in prison. And this ain't one of them. So a movie which is famous about how horrible the prison is, I don't think measures up, A. And B, the main character just goes off saying how Turkish people are horrible, they're pigs, they're assholes, they're the worst people in the world, he wishes he could rape every single one of them. One of the legacies of this movie is that it almost destroyed briefly U.S.-Turkish relations because Turkish people were so pissed off. And there's even a documentary that was made about how pissed off Turkish people were at how they're portrayed in this movie. The reason I mention all that is it's a true story, and the true story is so much better than the movie, so much more dramatic. The guy actually escapes prison, doesn't just kind of walk out by accident as is portrayed in the movie. Spoiler. And in real life, the guy did not ever call out Turks as horribly as they portray him doing in the movie. I thought the movie goes way over the top in the way they mock an entire nationality. I thought that was so unnecessary. So you were saying is Billy Hayes isn't a racist, Oliver Stone is. Oh yeah, Oliver Stone directed this movie? Uh, he wrote the screenplay, yeah. Oh, okay. Okay, I'm surprised a different Oliver Stone movie didn't make it into your number six slot, but uh, maybe we'll wait to talk about that later. <laughs> You're not surprised. Yeah. Maybe top five prison movies should be an upcoming top five. Prison is like boxing. It's one of those iconic genres. And obviously you have boxing in prison, which is, you know, levels upon levels. Prison is an iconic sport. Yeah, prison is an iconic sport for sure. Yeah. How about you, Will? First, I just want to say that the views of of June as being gay month are that of Sammy and Sammy alone. The rest of us affectionately call it Pride Month. Oh, gay Pride Month, no? Yeah, yeah. I believe it prefers to be called Pride Month. I walked in a gay Pride today and i'm going to walk in another gay pride parade later this month and uh yeah this is a very pro gay pride parade attending podcast very good i'm glad to hear it anyway that sidebar aside i hope the entire will family shows up to your local pride parade i hope so because you guys are off watching aladdin you don't have time to walk in parades oh true well i'm against parades so it's, it's nothing against the pride parade in particular uh, but I'm just going to mention uh, World War Z Ooh, good movie. as my uh, honorable mention. 
I do not think World War Z was very good. It is a big apocalyptic zombie action movie. The script is just a total mess. Apparently, Damon Lindelof was hired to rewrite the third act late into production, but then he didn't have time to finish it. So then they got Drew Goddard to rewrite it. And it just went through a ton of rewrites. It's based on a book by Max Brooks. And I wanted to ask if that was Zach Brooks' brother. Uh, Zach Brooks Brooks. Yeah, that is my uncle, Max. I wish. No, it's not. But I did read the book. Not to be that guy, but the book was much, much better than the movie. Okay, cool. I've heard the book is nothing like the movie at all. Sounds like a good thing. Yeah, not at all. The the book is written as a series. I think it's like a series of news articles. It's written like a history book, basically, after a zombie apocalypse has happened. So each chapter is kind of about a different aspect of it. And I feel like the movie, they try to just take one of those articles and blow it out like a fuller feature and then sprinkle in some of these other aspects that were in the book. Will, do you know what scenes were filmed in Malta? Uh, Yeah, I'm going to throw that one to Av. I'm not sure. I'm assuming you're, you're going to say it's the Jerusalem scenes. Yeah. The middle of the movie is sort of set in Israel for 10 minutes of movie time. Yeah. All the Israel scenes are filmed in Malta. I could see that. Malta is a very discount Jerusalem. And, and zombies do much better in Malta than they do in the Holy Land. Oh, yeah. That makes sense. I happen to love the Israel scenes. Maybe I can explain why. Yes. there There's a border wall that they're, they're kind of everyone is trying to get on the inside of. And they think that they're safe from the zombies. And then, surprise, the zombies are able to go over the wall. That was one of the more memorable scenes of that movie, if I remember. Because I think all the zombies were kind of crawling up like a wall. They make a zombie ladder. Are they making World War Z 2? Apparently they were making it, but in February of this year, it was canceled due to budget issues. World War Z could be a good show. I think World War Z did well, Will. Oh, it made a ton of money. One of the reasons the sequel didn't jump out right away is that when there is critical backlash, even if you make money, there's still a bit of a hesitancy to rush out another sequel. Agreed. Av, I know you liked World War Z, so maybe you want to like give us a little bit more flesh. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say that I liked it. I, I thought the first half of the movie was very strong. In particular, that opening scene in Philadelphia where the the virus outbreaks for the first time that we see, and I think maybe that anybody sees, and just this tension of just not knowing what's going on, and we don't know what's going on, the characters don't know what's going on. I thought that was a really impressive sequence. I liked the, the scenes in Jerusalem also, the one we just talked about. The only two countries that managed to avoid it was North Korea and Israel, and so like North Korea avoided it because they're a totalitarian state, and they like cut off the hands and the feet of everyone who had the, the plague to protect themselves. How did Israel avoid it? And there's this completely fake but sort of very much Israel trope where the wise old Israeli general explains strategies of Brad Pitt. In the 30s, Jews refused to believe they could be sent to concentration camps. In 72, we refused to fathom we'd be massacred in the Olympics. In the month before October 1973, we saw Arab troop movements and we unanimously agreed they didn't pose a threat. Well, a month later, the Arab attack almost drove us into the sea. So we decided to make a change. If nine of us look at the same information and arrive at the exact same conclusion, it's the duty of the 10th man to disagree. No matter how improbable it may seem, the 10th man has to start digging with the assumption that the other nine are wrong. Because of the Holocaust, we have a strategy in this country that if one of 10 people suspect that there'd be a zombie apocalypse we still prepare for it i thought it was a little bizarre that they have this kind of plot point that the the israelis knew about the the virus before everybody else was i don't know you could uh, you could make that of what what you will but i thought that was a strange uh, plot point i thought it, it does really run out of steam though kind of towards the middle of the movie it kind of just becomes almost like a video game where he's just like jumping from place to place. I thought the ending was, was a pretty cool idea in terms of how they eventually figure out how to beat the zombies. Was I did not see that coming, so I thought that was pretty inventive. 
I'm going to have to ride on Av here and go with an Oliver Stone film, but I'm not going to go with Midnight Express. I'm going to go with Alexander the Great. A Alexander the Great, who my older brother is named after in a kind of legacy fashion because, you know, he's the only Alexander, I think, known to history. Filmed by Oliver Stone, made at the same time as Troy. Both Troy and Al Alexander the Great were made because of the success of another multi-movie we may discuss. Spoiler, Gladiator. Alexander is a mess. It's a disaster. And the only thing I'll say about it is that Oliver, Oliver Stone was so committed to this movie that he has made three more director's cuts every five years. The last one came out in 2017. And in each director's cut, he's added a half an hour more of material that he cut out of the original. And he's completely, completely recut the movie. I did not have the chance to sit down and watch Oliver Stone's 2017 ultimate cut of Alexander. It is over three hours long. And apparently, I just read reviews of it, he completely like moved around the entire movie. So it watches a different movie. People say it's significantly better than the original. So if you're like me and you only saw the original and you really love sword and sandal movies and you love, you know, Alexander the Great story, which is the iconic, you know, story of the guy who conquered the world, then at least watch the three and a half hour version that came out in 2017 because it's supposed to actually be somewhat um, watchable. But do not watch the original in 2004. We need to have a group watch party on uh, Alexander Chester's birthday for the director's cut of Alexander. <laughs> yes. The cast for this movie is absurd. Colin Farrell, Angelina Jolie, uh, Val Kilmer, Anthony Hopkins, Jared Leto, Rosario Dawson, Christopher Plummer. That's a serious cast. Oliver Stone's a big-name director, and Alexander the Great is an iconic historical figure, and it was going off the success of Gladiator, so there was... There was reason to believe it would be a success. The only thing I'll say about the casting, I think the biggest legacy we have from the movie, but it's that it was being filmed on Malta at the same time as Troy. Brad Pitt was in Troy. Angelina Jolie was, of course, in Alexander. Although Hollywood history will say that they first really met and became a couple when they filmed Mr. and Mrs. Smith a year later, I am convinced based upon nothing else but the magic and romance of Malta that they actually probably met when they were both on the island. And suffice to say that one of the first things they did once they became a couple is they bought a house on the island. So they have a home that maybe they'll open up Airbnb when uh, the 32 fan faithful go visit Malta. That's it for honorable mentions. Let's jump to the top five, Zach. All right. So my number five, and I will say that my number five, six, and seven were all pretty close. But my number five I had was Munich. And I don't know if anybody else had Munich on their list. I have it higher. Oh, I have that higher. I have that higher. All right. Yeah. It's one that um, I I rewatched it a few years ago, and it's on my list to rewatch again. But I know you guys have it higher, so we will discuss it later. So my number four is Captain Phillips. Will, you said you have it higher as well, right? Yes, I do. As do I. Okay. Yeah. Looking back, I should have swapped my four and my three. But anyways. <laughs> All right. So I guess I'll go to my number three, uh, which is Gladiator. I also have it at number three. I also have it at number three. I have it higher. Am I the only one who has it higher? How do you guys have so many spaces? <laughs> Let's leave it at that, and we'll come back to your top two. Uh, I have number five. I have the Maltese Falcon, which I assume someone will have higher. Yep, I have that higher. Uh, number four, I have World War Z, which we just talked about. And then number three, I have Gladiator, which we're going to talk about soon. How about you, Will? Five, four, and three is a tough uh, lineup. I think I might have one. For my number five, I have... Murder on the Orient Express from 2018. Why do you like Murder on the Orient Express? I've never seen it. I don't, 
Uh, I just haven't seen that many Maltese movies. It's a fine movie. It's a mystery. It has Josh Gad and Johnny Depp. What else could you want? Was Johnny Depp still kosher at the time or was he already off the reservation? No, I don't think so. Okay. I mean, this is 2018. Oh, yeah. Okay, there you go. I have Murder on the Orient Express at my number 10. Uh, this is a top. This is top five. Okay, Zach. We don't. We don't want to hear about your nines and your eights and your tens. I'm just saying I have it lower. I'm glad to hear I'm not alone. I have it below Popeye. If that gives you a sense of where I have it on my list. <laughs> oh wow. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's all you needed to say. I think the the case has been made. My number four is The Spy Who Loved Me. Ooh, 007. 007. It's the only James Bond movie I've seen. What? Okay, we are going to do. I mean, we're not going to do a James Bond episode because that's just too typical. Everyone does that. But we'll do something of the sort, and we might have to force Will to watch at least 10 James Bond movies before allowing him on. I'll accept that fate. Will, defend yourself. How have you never seen a Bond movie? The best ones have come out arguably in the last decade. Yeah, I just never watched them growing up. I was never that into, like, spy action stuff. But Bond is what every man wanted to be before the me too generation or popeye i guess uh, i wanted to be shark boy okay <laughs> wow av have you seen the spy who loved me do you have you seen a bond movie zach please tell me you've seen one james bond movie i've not seen the spy who loved me but i've seen pretty much all the ones that have come out in the last you know 20 years or so starting with the pierce brosnan yeah i've seen most of the recent ones and i've kind of spotty on the older ones uh one of my friends is a huge james bond fan he's rewatched every single james bond movie multiple times he listens to james bond podcast so he's always getting on me to watch every james bond movie and i just kind of like will i i like them but i just can't get super into them so i've never seen the spy who loved me so the spy who loved me we should put into context came out in the early 80s will did it inspire you to go see more james bond now going into it i didn't think i would like it as much as i did it it is very tongue-in-cheek and goofy it doesn't take itself super seriously which i i really had no idea what the actual tone of the james bond movies was like going into it since i'd never seen one uh but yeah there's like one great gag where this guy dies in a phone booth and James Bond opens up the phone booth and, like, his dead body falls out. So then he just takes an out-of-order sign from the neighboring phone booth and, like, puts it on the corpse. Just a great little visual gag. I saw this, like, a few months ago, and I've not watched another James Bond since. So I, I guess that answers your question. I think I was expecting this to be a lot more, like, self-serious than it is because I thought Austin Powers was sort of deconstructing this uh, whole franchise that was the super serious spy movie. But it, it sounds like Austin Powers is just like a slightly more ridiculous version of the James Bond movies. I think the mistake there is that Daniel Craig was cast to sort of do the whole Batman Begins. Nolan and others set into the post 9-11 zeitgeist, which is we have to get serious and dark and go back to the origin story. That was Daniel Craig's Bond. Roger Moore plays Bond in The Spy Who Loved Me. He was the second Bond. He was famous for taking... Sean Connery's sort of iconic ladies' man, coolest guy in the room, and Roger Moore played it a little bit as a laugh. I saw The Spy Who Loved Me, and I felt like I was watching the prequel to Austin Powers. Oh, yeah. It makes sense that Austin Powers would be related to this since the second Austin Powers is called The Spy Who Shagged Me instead of The Spy Who Loved Me. I felt The Spy Who Loved Me was almost an Austin Powers movie. Yeah. There's all these one-liners by Roger Moore. At one point, he's having sex with some woman, and, you know, everyone shows up, as they always do in Austin Powers, and watches them, and he has this line, Keeping the British hand up, son. <laughs> Will, have you seen the Austin Power movies? Uh, yeah, yeah, I saw them when I was, like, in middle school. I think it's a crime to see those and not see any Bond. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it probably would have given me a much better appreciation of the Austin Powers movies seeing the Bond ones first, but, you know. But to Will's credit, no one else put a James Bond movie in their top five. 
I only saw two that were done there. I only saw The Spy Who Loved Me and then Casino Royale from 67. Zach Brook, multi-expert, brings up a very sage point. We did make a master list, and then I aggregated the IMDb, Rotten Tomatoes, and Metacritic score to have sort of a master ranking of critical scores of all multi-movies that I could find online. I will put that in the Facebook group of 32 fans. Listeners who are very concerned can join Zach and look at that full list when we post it and check out how many there are. I think there's three, but you may be right, Zach. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, but I think we'll pick the best of them. Well, mine is just from... I wasn't even going by your list. I was going by a different list as well. So <laughs> My number three is Gladiator. Uh, so I guess we'll just get on to your five, four, and three. My five is going to be relevant. It's a movie that's called The Bedford Incident. Did any of you guys see it? I was trying to find that on a Netflix of another country. And that's how I found out that Booksmart was on French Netflix. Uh, the Bedford Incident is a movie from 1965. The best way I can describe it is that it's like Dr. Strangelove without the sort of weird humor. The Bedford Incident is that time in the 60s when you had these movies coming out. The Soviet Union and the US are gonna nuke each other any day. It's really well acted. It's a movie about guys are on a boat and they're chasing a Soviet submarine and they get way, 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 way too close. And I won't spoil the ending. It's a really well-made Cold War thriller. It doesn't quite reach the levels of Dr. Strangelove and another movie that came out around the same time that's called Failsafe, but it's still worth a watch. My four is Maltese Falcon, so I know that's been taken. I definitely have that higher. And my three is Troy. The only Troy I know is uh, Troy Bolton from the High School Musical films. Troy McClure from The Simpsons. Oh yeah, that's a good one too. Or Caster Troy from Face Off. Top five Troys. We can do that next. Top five Troys. Troy. Post-Gladiator movie. It has Brad Pitt playing Achilles. And Eric Bana, I believe, playing Hector. If you know your Homer, then you know those are sort of the two big heroes going at each other. And there are some beautiful iconic scenes. When Hector, you know, spoilers, is killed by Achilles. And Hector's father comes to visit Achilles. I love my boy from the moment he opened his eyes till the moment you close them. Let me wash his body. Let me say the prayers. If I let you take him, it doesn't change anything. You're still my enemy in the morning. You're still my enemy tonight. But even enemies can show respect. Hector's father is the king of the Troy. Achilles is the hero of the Greek fighting this war. It's this beautifully acted scene. It's just sort of something that if you appreciate good actors going face to face, you can really love. I think people should check out Troy. I had Troy on my list as well. I had it at six. So it was like right really close with Munich for me. Um, and I, I just really like the story of Troy. I didn't know that much about Achilles before I saw it. So it was it was great to see that on film. I thought it had an epic scale to me and um, you know, it almost made my top five. I thought that was good too. Yeah, it gets a bad rep. Let's do our top twos. Zach, start us off again. All right, I hope that somebody has mine higher just because I love this movie. And that is Clash of the Titans. That is the original Clash of the Titans, not the 2010 Clash of the Titans or 2000 whenever that came out. Has anybody else have this on their list? No, I've never seen it. Oh, man, it's great. So this is from the 80s, and this is one I've probably seen this. This is one we used to get, you know, on two-for-one night from the video store, which, Will, I don't know if you know what those are, but uh, there used to be these, you know, stores where you could... I don't know what a store is. Well, video stores in particular, where you could go... If you see Captain Marvel, it has a video store in it. 
Oh, that's true. There's a video store in Captain Marvel. So they used to have two for one night at the local video one down the street. And Clash of the Titans was one of my brother and my favorite movies to get. And it's a, I think it's claymation that they use, but it shows all of these characters from old Greek mythology, you know, like Medusa and Jason and the Argonauts and, and Zeus and all the Greek gods. And it puts all of those stories onto the screen Unlike anything else I, I, that I had seen when I was a little kid. And the effects definitely look really wacky if you watch them now. But there's there's some something endearing about the claymation and the, the kind of jerky motion of these characters um, on screen. And so I, I love Clash of the Titans. The whole thing in uh, claymation, like with no human actors... No, it's humans alongside like the like Medusa. You know, I think I feel like that the Medusa stuff is what you would see kind of the most viral of clips if you look up Clash of the Titans. You know, her her snake hair is all claymation, and and some of the the I don't want to say monsters, but um, the creatures that are in this are all claymation, and then the humans are are humans. My number two was Captain Phillips. I also added it at number two. Why Captain Phillips? I saw it, and to me, it's a little forgettable. Uh, yeah, so I I thought it was just it was really enjoyable to watch. It just it does a really great job of building tension. There was actually a a funny thing that happened to me while I was watching this movie that I watched it a version of it that did not have subtitles for the parts where the Somali pirates speak, uh, which I which I assumed was intentional and thought was an amazing choice by the director because it really puts you in the position of the people on the boat where they just have no idea what they're talking about, they have no idea what they're saying, they have no idea what's going on, and turns out there are subtitles for those scenes, so I just kind of missed out on what it was that they were talking about, but from my experience of it, I thought it was really, really cool to, to see those scenes and just be totally confused about what was going on in much the same way that Tom Hanks and his crewmates probably were. So that I thought was just like a weird thing that kind of elevated the movie for me in a weird way. But Avi, you also outed yourself that you don't speak Somali. Uh, so, you know, when I uh, when I apply for some sort of advanced scholarship down the road in, in Somalia, that's going to be a problem for me. Don't you joke, there's a Robert De Niro movie that came out, I think, three years ago about like a 20-year-old Jewish American kid who goes to Somalia based on a true story. It could have been. Yeah, I thought I really just thought it was just a really tense cat and mouse game between Hank and the uh, the main pirate. I don't remember what his name was. As, as you know, he's trying to figure out what's going on on that ship, trying to see if there's any anybody else there. And he, you know, and the Tom Hanks character, Captain Phillips, just really is wants to protect his crewmates that he's responsible for at all costs. And I thought it was really well done and a really good movie. I want to search the ship. Now! All right, all right. We'll, 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 we'll search the ship. We'll, we'll start up here on the nav deck and we'll work our way down. But we better hope the emergency power stays on because we won't be able to see a thing if it goes off. I'll take it. We'll search the ship. But you stop threatening my men. No game. No game! Let's go. Will, anything to add? Yeah, I just think it's uh, one of the best performances I've seen Tom Hanks give in his career. It was uh, such an emotional ride that he went on. Um, especially just the last 10 minutes of the movie with Tom Hanks were just really powerful. I wonder what it says about Tom Hanks. It's interesting that sort of this might be his best. Definitely not his most famous. I, I agree with Will, though. That this He did such a good job in this, and I'm a huge Tom Hanks fan. It's definitely my favorite actor, so much so that I actually even put The Da Vinci Code lower on my list just because it's a Tom Hanks movie. Um, and I thought he was great in Captain Phillips, and like Will said, those last 10 minutes... Um, just it's it gives you chills watching it at least for me on screen um and i think i do remember hearing that tom hanks got himself i don't know if it was that he needed medical attention after filming that scene but he got himself into such a worked up state of mind and state of shock 
at the end of that movie that the, the nurse actually had to like treat him after they were done filming that scene. And I really appreciated a lot of the um, uh, societal commentary about uh, the people of Somalia. One line that really stood out to me was Tom Hanks was saying, uh, there's got to be something other than being a fisherman or kidnapping people. There's got to be something other than being a fisherman and kidnapping people. Maybe in America. Maybe in America. My number two, Steven Spielberg's Munich. I think it's a fantastic movie. I think it's one of Spielberg's most underappreciated, but I'll leave it to whoever has it as their number one. My number one is Munich, which you just mentioned. I think Munich is an absolute masterpiece. I saw it in theaters when it came out in 2005, I think. I hadn't had the opportunity to revisit it until this podcast, so thank you for that opportunity. I think Munich is a an amazing like action thriller where the action sequences are kind of besides the point. It's like those moments in between where the characters are talking to each other about what they're doing and really, you know, dealing with the the gravity of what it is that they've been tasked to do that I think really puts this a cut above almost every other movie like it that I've ever seen. Without spoiling too much, there's, it's a group of people that are tasked with uh, assassinating a, a certain group of other people. And there's a point where one of them asks, like, well, how do you even know that's the right guy? And he's, he responds something like, well, you know, I was told it's him, so I'm going to assume that it's the right guy. And You know what your problem is, Habibi? You're disorientated because the guys we're killing are dressed in expensive suits, and this is London and not some ugly Adam village. I'm not disoriented. I'm keeping my sanity by occasionally reminding myself that in but, spite of you, I'm still at least in principle a human being. It's just we brought our war to Copenhagen. I, I really thought that was a very good meta commentary on what the movie is all kind of about. You know, these people that are just not haven't necessarily reckoned with the narratives that they've been told about themselves and about the other people and it just i, th- I thought really showed a shine a light on what the, the themes of this movie which i thought were really strong and powerful in this you know age of terror and saying this deserves to be at the top of the the mount rushmore almost of spielberg movies without having a complete list right in front of me i don't want to swear to it but it's, it's it's definitely up there for me i don't you know it might not be exactly in the top five spielberg's filmography is, is schindler's list raiders of the lost ark jurassic park yeah there's so ready player one yeah <laughs> yeah so with spielberg you know you could very quickly get to five without say without mentioning munich but you know it, this is a movie that for you know 99 percent of directors this is by far the best movie they've ever made Spielberg, it might be outside the top five just because it's Spielberg, but I think it's an absolutely astonishing movie. Uh, just really reckons with so much of you know the things we're still dealing to with till this day about the war on terror and how how do you serve justice in a world where the other side isn't playing by the same rules and hist- history and collectivism and how the things that happened before us influence who we are today. I thought it was. I really just think it's a phenomenal movie. I I love the opportunity to see it again. And has everyone on the pod seen it? I have not seen it yet. Are you inspired, Will, by Of? Oh yeah. I mean, this is uh, the biggest stamp of approval that you could possibly get. And I want to rewatch it now after hearing all this Munich talk. Maybe Will and I will watch it in the same month. You guys should watch it together. Oh yeah. Sounds like a party. There are only four movies that all of us uh, submitted that we had seen. Munich was obviously not one of them. Uh, and the four are from worst to best. World War Z, Gladiator, Captain Phillips, and The Maltese Falcon. Yeah. If you really like the movie, I would encourage you to check out this book. It's called Vengeance. It's by a fake name of some guy who calls himself George Jonas. It might be interesting to you to see the book that the movie's based on, a book which is cited by the intelligence agencies who are in the story as not being true, and then you can go read non-fictional accounts 
of those counterterrorist teams where the facts are different than they are portrayed both in the book and in the movie. Yeah, you can read that book, and then you can read World War Z, and you can get all of your uh, Malta... Maltese Falcon was a book, right? Probably, yeah. And you can figure out what is the Falcon in the Maltese Falcon. Yeah. There's probably some books uh, related to Clash of the Titans as well. So all kinds of literary things that you can read about Malta. Yeah, a literary pod. Yeah. We will not be the hosts, but maybe we can appear as guests. My number one, and I think got this... A, because it's a classic. B, because if you say name a film about Malta, I think this is going to be the first one that pops into most people's minds, and that is The Maltese Falcon. Watched this a few months ago, and it is the shining example of film noir, detective story, smoky rooms, MacGuffins, Cockney accents. The story of The Maltese Falcon. 600 years, The Falcon has carried the mystery of a fabulous wealth under its grotesque wings. I could tell you a thousand tales of the men and women who have hunted this evil bird. But every story has the same ending. Murder. When we started talking about Malta to begin with, my recommendation was, why don't you guys watch the Maltese Falcon and talk about it and do a little review? I don't know if anybody else had it at number one, though. Uh, Yeah, I also had it at number one. I'd never seen it prior to watching it uh, for this for this list. And I'm so glad I watched it. It's I watched it twice within the course of three days, just because I wanted to make sure I got as much out of it as I could. But uh, it's really just one of those film classics that you can see so much of where it influenced other movies in history, but you can also just watch it as an, a very enjoyable uh, experience in itself. And it's a lot more fun than I was remembering it, too. I, like, I saw it in high school in my history of film, and I remembered it being very serious, but it, it does have some, some fun, some parts where you, you smile, you chuckle to yourself a little bit watching it. So I really like when classics you watch and you don't enjoy them as history lessons. Maltese Falcon is as enjoyable now than I think it was when it came out in the 40s. Was any of it filmed in Malta? The Maltese Falcon is the only movie on our list of Malta films that was not filmed or said to be located in Malta. Because there actually are a number of movies that are located in Malta but not filmed there. What is the iconic moment of Maltese Falcon for you guys? Yeah, I don't have an iconic moment, but... Peter Lorre in that movie, his whole performance, and it just made me want to go and watch like everything that he's in. See, Mr. Speed, I'm trying to recover ornament that, uh, shall we say, has been mislaid. Uh-huh. I thought and hoped you could assist me. The ornament uh, is a statuette, black figure of a bird. I am prepared to pay on behalf of the figure's rightful owner the sum of $5,000 for its recovery. I am prepared to promise that, uh, what is the phrase, uh, no questions will be asked. There's an actor in the Maltese Falcon, which is the reason people go see see the Maltese Falcon. And his name has not been mentioned. Well, Humphrey Bogart. Yeah, I mean, you, you got to give Humphrey Bogart some love. If we speak about James Bond, we got to mention Sean Connery. If you speak about the Maltese Falcon, you got to mention Humphrey Bogart. Obviously, Humphrey Bogart. Yeah, he is great in a lot of movies that he's in. I mean, obviously, Casablanca is, you know, arguably his most famous. And, you know, I think if you're looking for something that is a a lovely performance i would say peter lore is a lot of fun in that movie uh you know you obviously saw maltese falcon you didn't love it what did it do for you i would say i appreciated it more than i enjoyed it um you know you you as you're watching it just obvious you see the fact that this movie was made in 1941 and you see how it influenced so much of film that came after it over the next 30 40 years especially i guess i would say i thought just the the scenes were a little dry for my taste. It almost made it hard for me to pay attention to everything that was going on because the movie is, in a way, extremely simple, but then also kind of intricate in terms of the plot of what's going on. 
So, you know, there, there were definitely an element of it to me that I didn't love, but it's, it's obvious when you're watching it why it's a classic. There's one more number one movie to discuss. Maltese Falcon got two nods, so I guess that's our runaway winner. I'm not going to say it's my number one. The only movie that could be my number one, Gladiator. We've all seen it. I'll throw out one thing to start, and then you guys can come at me. It's an epic. And it's an epic despite the fact that the plot is a little flimsy. But I think a true epic, the plot is not as important as themes and as characters. And this movie has amazing casting, similar to, I guess, Troy and Popeye, but they did a much better job with it. Wokan Phoenix, if you're gonna see the Joker, which he's cast in that's coming out later this year, he was discovered by the Gladiator. He'd been only in very, very small indies before then. He plays the, the antagonist. Oliver Reed plays the gladiator trainer. And obviously, Russell Crowe, when he was in God Mode, he went through a period of six or seven years when every one of his movies, he was incredible. Movie after movie, and in Gladiator, if it wasn't Russell Crowe in the lead, the way he commands a scene, it's something from the golden age of Hollywood. And again, I think the themes, the way it discusses populism and how a ruler has to own the crowd more than following the rules, something that I think plays to today's day and age. I re-saw the movie and there was a lot of contemporary politics in the age of Twitter, how you appeal to the masses and how someone who no one really thinks is fit to rule can be put in charge of the greatest country in the world due to sort of his way of manipulating popular opinion. There's... This is very subtle. Yeah, I'm trying to make it as subtle as I can, but I think the themes on a number of levels, I even watched some of the, the back material, and Ridley Scott, the director of Gladiator, who obviously is an incredible director when he wants to be, Ridley Scott says he was trying, and I think he failed in this, to make the antagonist, to make you feel bad for him. And Joaquin Phoenix is just so bizarre that I actually don't think he fulfilled what his director wanted. That said, like, there's this theme when you rewatch it, Commodus the Emperor, he has these deep daddy issues, but portrayed in a way that I think is elegant. It's not a perfect movie. It's really three movies. It's a gladiator movie. It's a court politics intrigue, which doesn't hold up so much for me. And it has a quick ending that doesn't do justice to the film. The script is, is terrific. There's so many quotable lines. I'll say two more things. One is that I saw the extended edition unintentionally. The extended edition has 20 extra minutes. I don't think they make it a better movie, but those 20 extra minutes, they have two entirely new scenes. If you like the movie, definitely check out the extended edition because it's just more of what you like. And the last point I'll make is that post Game of Thrones, Gladiator is not as good as when I saw it originally. The court politics in Game of Thrones are better. The battle scenes in Game of Thrones, which is a freaking TV show, is better than in this movie. And the duels, I mean, Russell Crowe does all of his own stunts, so give the guy credit. But the duels in Game of Thrones is often better than what you see in Gladiator. And we can get into a bit more. I think a lot of the characters in Game of Thrones and Gladiator have certain parallels as well. Since we keep bringing up Game of Thrones, you know, I'll mention that, and, and I think I mentioned this to, to Sammy, that the plot of like the first half hour or so of this movie is almost exactly the same as season one of Game of Thrones in terms of the, the succession to the throne. You have this old ruler who has, you know, a best friend that he wants to kind of leave as a holder of the throne, which is Robert Baratheon to Ned Stark. And, and Marcus Aurelius to Maximus. Correct, yes, exactly. And have this Maximus character who's just this noble to his own fault and doesn't understand that he's 
playing up against people who will resort to much more vile tactics than he imagines is possible. And he isn't himself killed, but he's exiled and his family is killed because of his own naivety about what these people are capable of. And he's overthrown by these this brother-sister duo. The the woman he also plays, the, the mother in Wonder Woman, she's you know almost exactly Cersei Lannister. She's the brains of the operation. She's calling the shots behind the scenes. There's a little bit of an, an incestual relationship going on, possibly, we're not exactly sure almost exactly the same story which i thought was really interesting and funny but and i think your point is well taken about you know after seeing eight seasons of game of thrones and uh the scale that they're able to operate on in 2019 obviously going back to a movie from 20 years ago it's not going to be the same quality but it's still a really a really good strong movie i had my my nits and my gripes with some of the plot points but nothing that overrides the quality of the movie overall. I love how Av is pointing out that there's a Cersei Lannister type character in Gladiator because the dominant way of seeing Gladiator is that the only female character in the movie pretty much besides his wife who we don't care about and never see who is the emperor's daughter and the and the evil emperor's sister is that she's good and she's innocent and she's being abused and you know she's a heroic and you know she even sort of is a love interest for Maximus and yet I agree especially on rewatching it I agree with Av I think she's manipulative and I'll go so far as to say that in the very end of the movie when Maximus is injured and lying down in the sand and she looks towards him and she says go to them Go to your dead wife and son. And she wills him to die. And come on, this is Maximus we're talking about. This is a man who's a god amongst men. There was no way he was going to die, except that evil manipulative, you know, I'll watch my language, is like, get out of here. It's my turn now to run this country. The other thing, which is three different scripts were written for this movie. And the result is that in the original story, and that's the main scriptwriter who gets most of the credit, Maximus's family is not killed. And therefore, the goal of the original movie, and a lot of the scenes are shot using the original scripts, is that he's trying to get away to get back to his family. And then when they later rewrote the draft, while they were filming the movie, they had his family be killed, and therefore changes some of the dynamic. When you know of that, and you sort of watch the movie, there's times when you realize he just wants to get freedom. You won your freedom? A long time ago, the emperor presented me with Arudius. It's just... A a wooden sword, a symbol of your freedom. He, he touched me on the shoulder and I was free. <laughs> you knew Marcus Aurelius. I did not say I knew him, I said he touched me on the shoulder once. You ask me what I want? I too want to stand in front of the Emperor. As you did. Then listen to me. Learn from me. I wasn't the best because I killed quickly. I was the best because the crowd loved me. Win the crowd, and you'll win your freedom. There's a whole, like, freedom line in the movie that doesn't really fit in with his character, but it's there because in the earlier draft of the movie, he was just trying to get free. Will, is this an all-time favorite of yours? Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen it in a few years, but it's definitely a great movie, just, you know, the other two are better. I like Gladiator quite a bit. I've seen it you know, probably three or four times. Every time I turn the TV on after watching an NBA playoff game on TNT, the next time I turn the TV on, Gladiator is playing on TNT. So it's just one of those like cable classics now. Yeah, that's true. Zach, when it's on TV, can you turn it off or you're like, oh, Gladiator, I'm going to watch? No, I mean, I'll, I'll watch at least a little bit of it if I have time. But it's really fun to watch. It's really exciting. 
like you guys have said, the, the plot doesn't necessarily hold up, but and it, and it definitely feels a little dated after watching Game of Thrones, but I still think some of those sword and sandal movies, which I've never heard that term until today, but uh, some of those sword and sandal movies can get dragged down a little bit, get very talky or get very boring, but I don't feel like Gladiator suffers from that problem. I feel like Gladiator keeps moving the whole way through and I really enjoy it. It's just not as much as my top two. Well, look, you know, you can't argue with uh, Humphrey Bogart. Though I think Russell Crowe could, but uh, he'll, he'll argue with a lot of people. Two more things I want to leave you with, Gladiator. Can any of you name a better reveal of a character's name? Talk about Game of Thrones. Russell Crowe kills Daenerys Targaryen in terms of revealing his title. I was watching it, and I was sitting down, and I stood up when Maximus, and I've seen the movie like five, five, six, seven, eight times, when Maximus says his name to the Emperor and reveals himself. Slave! Will you remove your helmet and tell me your name? My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the armies of the North, general of the Felix Legions, loyal servant to the true emperor, Marcus Aurelius, father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, and I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. Such an iconic moment. I do think there's one better movie moment when a character says his full name. Do you guys have any suggestions? I'm SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> oh, Will. Will, you're the one who should get this because it was in your top five movies. Uh... None of you? Okay, I mean, I can reveal. I'm racking my brain trying to think of one. My Mount Rushmore for top characters revealing their names. I'll leave the fourth spot empty for now because I haven't decided. But number three is James Bond, particularly when Sean Connery says... Bond. James Bond. I don't think you're allowed to pick every instance of a character saying their name on your list. I think it has to be a specific instant. The original James Bond, when Sean Connery walks up in the bar and says his name. All right. I'm just keeping you honest here. That's all. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I just want to point out that um, Sam put us on the spot to come up with something that he clearly thought about and made a list for. I was going to say the exact same thing. It's a very very Chester way to do things, for sure. (laughs) I see the relation. (laughs) I suppose. I I thought about this, like, moments before we went live, and I was just, what an iconic naming of himself. I googled, and no one has made a list of characters coming out and saying their names. So James Bond is my three. My number two is Gladiator. And my number one, someone should be able to get because it. I got it instantly. I was like, of course that has to be number one. I am Detective Pikachu. That is a classic. Please. No, you already went on the record that your number one is SpongeBob SquarePants. I'm sure some people would say the uh, Inigo Montoya. Yes, thank you. Yes, that's my number one, of, of course. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Russell Crowe in God Mode cannot take on Inigo Montoya. Yeah, for sure. Last thing I'll say about Gladiator is Oliver Reed, if you like kind of rock star movie stars from the 70s and 80s, he's sort of the example of the Johnny Depps, the Russell Crowes, the people who are like at the top of their game and then just destroyed their careers. He plays the, the Gladiator trainer. This was his last movie because he died in the middle of the movie. And while researching multi, found out actually how he dies first off he's incredible in the movie he was supposed to be the last scene in the movie was supposed to be oliver reed's character but because he died they had to change that up actually the last few scenes of him is a body double because you don't see his face during the filming of gladiator when he's in his 80s he went out one night and just got really really drunk and then died and the pub at which he got himself drunk to the point at which he died in malta is named after him to this day so when the 32 fans go off to malta make sure that they have a drink in honor of Gladiator at the Oliver Reed pub. I thought that's a 
an iconic way to bring some of our multi discussion to a close. Yeah, I think Akiva would call that a fun fact on the Seinfeld podcast. Let's do a quick classics corner as we wrap up. We'll start with special guest Zach. A classics corner is any movie you saw that's not premiered, did not come out in 2019. What I'm doing this year is I'm doing something called my movie ladder. And I started with Bohemian Rhapsody. I realized I wanted to see Walk Hard again because I know that that spoofs the music biop. From there, I ended up seeing Walk the Line because I'd never seen that. And I just realized I could keep seeing movies along this chain that had some sort of connection to each other. I've seen about 25 movies in this movie ladder. I saw Inside Lewin Davis. From there, I've been wanting to rewatch her. Came out right about the same week or two weeks uh, after Inside Lewin Davis. So I thought that was a natural connection. Her and Inside Lewin Davis are two of my very favorite movies of, of this decade. I watched her for the second time. Liked it a lot better this time, especially now that I'm such a big Black Mirror fan. I thought it does that not-so-distant future technology and from there i'm going to be seeing another scarlett johansson film which is under the skin which i've never seen oh you'll have to tell me what you think about that does Juan keen phoenix have a bad movie that jumps to people's mind he was in a movie in 1986 called space camp i went to space camp the actual space camp when i was in middle school yeah in alabama arguably joaquin phoenix is the actor who would play zach brooks the movie yes exactly yeah but i'm saying like post gladiator gladiator made him a star uh, I might say that uh, I forgot he was in The Village uh, and also Brother Bear, which are not... not uh... And Signs as well. Yeah. Not a great run there. That's around his That's around his dry patch. Yeah. Classics Corner is anything Joaquin Phoenix. Everyone is encouraged to take the Zach Brooks copyright ladder idea and make it their own. The other night I watched Noah Baumbach's Kicking and Screaming from 1995, not to be confused with the 2005 Will Ferrell movie. I'm generally a fan of Noah Baumbach, and I like this one as well. I, I think this is his first movie. If not, it's one of his first movies, and I think it, you can definitely tell it's a little rough around the edges, but it has a lot of the same spirit that his movie has, the group of people, the, the ennui, um, New York City's involved. Um, it's, you know, if you like Noah Baumbach movies, this is definitely one worth visiting or revisiting. Nice. Okay. I have not seen that. So uh, that's a good, uh, it's a good wreck. I saw The Dawn Wall, which came out in 2018. I don't think that many people saw it though. Wow. The classic year 2018. <laughs> the Dawn Wall should have been what you saw before you saw Free Solo. The Dawn Wall is a documentary about the two guys who climbed up an impossible to climb part of El Capitan in the Yosemite, the same wall that was famously climbed by Adam Honnold in Free Solo. The difference is that in Free Solo, the guy climbs it without any ropes, but he climbs the easiest part of the route up the mountain. I will go into my classics. A couple weeks ago, I saw the 1960 French horror film Eyes Without a Face, which is a very provocative movie in its time. Uh, it's about this plastic surgeon who is determined to perform a face transplant on his daughter who is disfigured in a car crash. Uh, going off the, the Maltese Falcon discussion earlier, it's a classic movie where you can see how it influenced other movies, but also it's just a very entertaining movie to watch in its own right. And far more graphic than I was expecting from a movie from as far back as 1960. The effects were very convincing. It probably had an influence in the films likes of like Hostel or Saw, um, I guess torture-ish movies, but it does it in a much more tasteful and artistic way. I think it's fascinating that you're not getting your fill of contemporary release horror movies. So you're going back and finding classic horror movies as well. I, I have to watch them all. That, I think, brings an end to our special Malta episode. 
of 32 Fans Movies. We'll be back next month discussing June movies. We have Toy Story coming out. That's kind of the big name. And uh, we will have possibly other special guests. So look forward to any plugs, Zach and uh, Av, before you leave us. Uh, thanks for having me. It was fun to be on here. I am, uh, I'm in the 32 Fans Facebook group, so you probably see me in there. I, I went pretty far in the fans tournament. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm on Twitter. BrooksZA is my username. So feel free to say hi. Zach, where are you calling in from? Oh, I'm in Michigan. But I used to be in D.C., which is not too far from where Will is coming. You guys are going to get together and watch Munich, so we'll have to schedule that on your own time, how it's going to happen. Oh, I'll be in D.C. next week, actually, Will. So in my three days that I'm there, you can come up and we can get a screening of Munich. Done. If you want to win 32 fans bracket, I have no influence over it, but meeting up with Will to watch Munich will certainly count for something. I need all those points. <laughs> You'll make all happy. Absolutely. Zach, are you making the trip over to Minnesota for the big 32 fans get-together? I wish. I am... Uh, I'm going to be in California for the month of July, and if I wasn't going to be in California, I definitely would have gone to Minnesota, and I'm kind of bummed to miss it. Great, Av. As always, it is a pleasure. Um, everything we bring you appreciate. Thank you very much. And we'll be ba- we'll be back soon. Sounds good, guys. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. Take care, guys. and always and none of them gets nowhere. If anyone dares to risk Lefisk, it's Buffin, it's Wham understands. So keep good behavior, that's your one lifesaver with Popeye the Sailor Man. He's Popeye the Sailor Man! He's Popeye the Sailor Chicken of the Sea, yeah. He's strong to the fish, cause he eats his spinach! He's Popeye the Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.